0: If you would open your Bible, please, today to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3. Now, we've quoted part of this passage, but uh, we'll read it and add a little bit before and after. The, the series is called The Bible, and it's referred to here as On a Shelf by Itself, meaning there's no other comparable book to the Bible. Would you stand with me to your feet, please, and let's read the scripture 2 Timothy 3:15 through 17 in your Bible. Uh, okay, everyone together. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And Heavenly Father, speak to us again, I pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. And you may be seated. Every time I've preached, the, this is the third message in this series. I have stressed the importance of it I began to think about this some months ago And to work on this series Just jotting little notes here and there Because this is the absolutely most important thing That you need to know as a Christian You see, if the Bible is suspect If the Bible is not trustworthy If the Bible only contains the Word of God And is not in fact the word of God Then everything about our faith comes up to suspicion We need a solid rock on which to stand And the scripture is that rock on which our faith rests As I've said you would not know anything You would know nothing about any other doctrine of the Bible Were it not for the Bible You would not know about the cross, the atonement You would not know About what Christ did His miracles, his work while he was upon the earth You wouldn't know that God created the heaven and the earth Or at least much of the detail of it Were it not for the scripture So this is absolutely foundational And as I have studied My zeal for it has grown I'll tell you In quantum leaps Because more clearly than ever do I see the fact That everything about the Christian faith Stands or falls On the trustworthiness And the integrity of the Scripture And if you get that locked down Then everything else follows Everything else flows from that But if that is not Absolutely locked down in your mind Then you're going to always Be in doubt And you're going to always Be tossed to and fro As the Bible said Now In order to get this to you, I want you to get this. In other words, you have to get this. In other words, get this. You got it? You can't miss on this. You can't play around the edges. I'm frustrated when we don't have every member of the church here every time I preach on this subject because you can't have holes in this. You've got to have a consistent, solid, rational, logical approach here and to make it available to you if you haven't been here for a service you can purchase a purchase it very nominally on CD out here at the media desk and or you if you have uh, if you're into the technology uh you can get it on a podcast through iTunes it'll be up there in just a few days and you can Look on your computer and go to our website And there are the archives of all of our television programs For the last year or so And if you'll look there You'll be able to get it as it's edited and put up there And it'll be there for you to re-watch Or to relearn, if you will And at the end of the series I'm going to do something I've never done before Because I feel this, this is so critical I'm going to have them print a copy of my sermon notes that I use to preach it. And I'm going to give that to you for a very nominal, we may charge a dollar or something so you'll just not pick it up. I want you to read it. But I'm going to do everything I can do humanly possible that you get this and you learn this and you have this in your mind and heart because it is so critical. Having said that, my question to you today is what do you really believe about the Bible? And I hope you don't say, well, I believe what they believe over there at the church Or I believe what Brother Bill believes Or I believe what Grandpa believed I want you to understand it and believe it for yourself Because what you believe about the Bible is the most important thing about you What you believe about the Bible, you see, determines your worldview It determines how you look at everything else It's like putting on a pair of glasses These are the biblical glasses And everything that you see in the world will be shaped by what you believe about the Bible. There's been two previous messages. One of them was on Revelation. Revelation simply is defined as that God one day determined that he would reveal his truth to men. Truth that could not be known in any other way. How would you know that God is holy? That's a truth. That's a fact. How would you know it though if you didn't have a Bible that was reliable? So revelation means God revealed truth to humankind that there would be no other way they could ever know that truth. We call that revelation. How did he do it? We did it through what we call general revelation, meaning through nature. We can look at a mountain. We can look at the sea. We can look at the starry heavens, and we can see that there was someone of infinite intelligence and wisdom that designed all of this. It didn't just happen randomly. And we we have a conscience conscience inside our hearts that sometimes tell us what God wants. It will tell us what is right and what is wrong. We call that general revelation. And then there's special revelation That's what we're dealing with here We're talking about the Bible And how did God reveal himself to the writers of the Bible? Holy men of old The writers of the Bible The apostles, the prophets Holy men of old spake as they were moved borne along, pushed along Shaped and guided by the Holy Spirit and I believe that God supernaturally superintended and that he guided them in the writing of every single word and then preserved those, wor- those ancient words that we just sung about for us in the Scripture, revelation. Then last week, the subject was on inspiration. Inspiration. 2 Timothy 3.16, right there in your Bible. Look at it. All Scripture is given by inspiration. If you were not here last week, circle that word inspiration. And I want you to write the definition right there in the margin of your Bible. What is inspiration? It comes from a Greek word that actually means God's breath. God breathed out. Just like I'm breathing and as I Push the breath across my vocal cords Then you hear the sounds As they're shaped by my tongue, my teeth, my lips And so the Bible was God breathed I want you to notice it says That all scripture is God breathed And so we use the word verbal inspiration Verbal and that means that the very words of the Scripture are inspired That God chose every word of Scripture When he was guiding and directing those holy men of old To write those ancient words We also say that Scripture is not only verbally inspired We say, we use another word And I'm reviewing because I want you to remember these We use the word plenary And that comes from the idea of all Scripture All Scripture Meaning inspiration extends to every part of the Scripture Now all of the Scripture is not equally important John 3.16 is obviously more important than the genealogies Or some obscure verse over describing someone's life in the Old Testament All Scripture is not equally important But listen, all Scripture is equally inspired The unimportant, unattractive parts are Absolutely as inspired As is the most famous parts That you know about God's Word Then we use another word It's the word inerrant Which means there are no errors In God's inspiration to man There are no errors The Bible is not full of errors Now, I have a book about this thick It's a real old book It's broken I'm afraid the leaves are falling out of it And it's written And it's called Alleged Contradictions in the Bible and it's about 5 or 600 pages of print that's about that <laughs> about that small you need a magnifying glass. It is a ponderous volume. And yet that deals with every known seeming contradiction. And I read my Bible and there are things there that seem like they're contradictions. But as I read and as I study and as I learn, I find out that Almost every single one of those can be explained. Once you dig into the history and the culture of the Bible, almost every one of them. There's a few of them I can't explain. We'll talk about that in a coming message. But I want to tell you, your Bible is inspired. It's God-breathed. It has no errors. The inspiration extends to everything. I believe it all. I even believe the concordance and the map's. Because I decided one time years ago I was going to believe the Bible I worked for a short period of time for an evangelist He called himself the chaplain of Bourbon Street And I remember one thing that he said all the time Every time we would go out and I'd hear him preach He would say, he'd hold up his Bible And he'd say, I believe the Bible by faith By what do you doubt it? I believe the Bible by faith. By what do you doubt it? Well, the truth is, is not very many people have a good reason for doubting it other other than something they heard somewhere or watched on television. So the Bible claims to be God-breathed, fully inspired, every word. The Bible claims to be inerrant and that even the words of the Scripture are inspired. So what is the evidence for it? That's the message this morning There's a Greek word for faith The Greek word is pistis P-I-S-T-I-S It means a conviction that's based upon fact A conviction that The Greek word for faith means a conviction Something you deeply believe It's based not upon a feeling Not upon because your mother said it It's based upon some facts You see, we who understand the Christian faith We do not believe that we have to take a leap of faith And say, I don't understand it, I don't know But I'm just going to jump out there and depend on it No, we believe there is solid evidence Rock-solid evidence For what we believe in the Christian faith and the world thinks we just believe this stuff like we believe a myth or a fairy tale, but we don't. And so, faith is a conviction that I have based upon some facts. Now, those facts become evidence when I compile them. Evidence which tends to prove or to disprove something. Evidence means a ground for believing, something that makes Something else seemed plain or clear to me, evidence. And so today, I want to present some evidence for you. And I'm gonna go very, very fast, but I'll give you the outline in days ahead, or you can buy the message on CD or watch it on the website. You've got to understand why you believe the Bible is what it says it is. Let's start with fulfilled prophecy. Prophecy. And I'm not going to turn you to very many of these, but I want you to see this one because it probably will be new and fresh to to you. So turn to the book of Ezra, if you will, please. Ezra's two or three or four books before Psalms there right in the middle of your Bible. The book of Ezra, chapter number one. Now, prophecy is history that was written in advance, and I believe fulfilled prophecy is the greatest single evidence of the trustworthiness of the Bible. And in the book of es- Ezra, Ezra, chapter 1, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, stop, Cyrus, king of Persia. So we have a Persian king, an emperor here, and notice what he's going to do. He's going to give permission for the people who are living in captivity there in Babylon to go back home to Jer- Jerusalem. Under Ezra the prophet And began to rebuild the temple In the city of Jerusalem And so in the first year of his reign So we know what that is from history It's about 538 BC The word of the Lord By the mouth of Jeremiah That it might be fulfilled The the Lord stirred up The spirit of Cyrus The king of Persia An unsaved pagan man and Cyrus made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and put it in writing saying thus saith Cyrus king of Persia The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he, w- he had a superpower in that day And so he said whoever wants to go up to Jerusalem in verse number or in verse number 2 he says and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah So the pagan unsaved King of Persia, Cyrus Says God wants me to send people up there To rebuild his house at Jerusalem That was destroyed 50 or 60, 70 years ago By Nebuchadnezzar Who is there among you of all the people? Let God be with him And let him go up to Jerusalem Which is in Judah And build the house of the Lord God of Israel He is the God Which is in Jerusalem And so he gave permission for About 50,000 of the Jewish people who were captives And had been captive for 70 years To go back now and to rebuild the temple up in Jerusalem Now, turn quickly with me over to the right It's further over in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 44 But it was written 150 years before Cyrus lived, okay So chronologically, we're going back in time To the time of Isaiah Which was about 150 years previous And in chapter 44 of Isaiah Verse number 28 That saith of Cyrus Cyrus, there's the man's name He hasn't been born yet He won't be born yet for 116 years He is my shepherd And will perform my pleasure Even saying to Jerusalem Thou shalt be built And to the temple Thy foundation will be laid 150 years before Isaiah made a prophecy And said that someday A man named Cyrus Will rebuild the temple And in Ezra chapter 1 Verse 1, 2, 3, 4 He gives the command to do it What is spectacular about this uh, prophecy Is that it even gives the man's name It is so specific the man's name is given Look at chapter 45 verse 1 Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus Whose right hand I have holden, And so on, I won't read it 150 years before God said to Cyrus, or said, there's going to be a man named Cyrus, and he's going to rebuild the temple. And then God providentially placed him to where he could be the emperor of the Persian Empire and have the power and the resources to do it. Your Bible is God's word, and prophecy is the greatest evidence of its inspiration Now, since you're where you are in Isaiah, turn two books to the right, right quick, and I'm not going to turn you very many more times, but I want you to see a couple of them here, chapter 36 of Ezekiel, which I think is the absolute most remarkable prophecy in all of the Scripture. If I had to pick out just one, this would probably be it. And the nation of Israel had been scattered, and they, after 70 AD, the whole country was destroyed The temple, the city, the people A million Jews probably were killed during that time By the Roman Empire, 70 AD And for 2,000 years there was not a Jewish nation 2,000 years But there was a prophecy by the prophet Ezekiel Chapter 36 And I will take you from among the heathen Ezekiel 36, 24 I will take you from among the heathen I will gather you out of all the countries And I will bring you into your own land And in May of 1948 That prophecy was fulfilled in my lifetime I was a little boy And Ezekiel chapter number 36 verse 24 That Star of David flag went up over Israel For the first time in 2,000 years And you could write fulfilled over Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. I could turn you to scores of these. Daniel chapter 2, where God gives him a vision and he sees an outline of Gentile world history in the form of a huge image. Its head is gold. Daniel said gold represented Babylon. The only worldwide empires that have ever existed have been four. Only four in all of history And they're all in that one In that image The head was Babylon The chest and shoulders were Medo-Persia The belly was Greece Thighs and belly The legs were Rome Eastern Roman Empire Western Roman Empire Going down to the feet and the toes Which we believe even has Modern and contemporary uh, Applications There's the whole outline You look at your history book We had Babylon We had Medo-Persia We had Greece We had Rome Still have Rome in one sense And so the history of Gentile world Gentile world history Prophesied 700 years before Christ During the time of Babylon How did Daniel know that? Holy men of old spake As they were moved by the Holy Ghost And What about the prophecies? I'll move on to another category Relating to Jesus Christ Micah chapter 5 verse 2 His place of birth Was announced as Bethlehem 500 years before his birth Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1 Tells that his mother Would take him to Egypt And he would stay there To spare his life Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27 actually gave the year of his birth, measured from the command to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem under Nehemiah. And so had people studied and believed the Bible, they could have known the year of his birth. Psalm 22, give the details of his birth, or his death, pardon me, by crucifixion. Turn one more time. I I didn't lie to you. I have, you know, I'm... I just, you got to see this, folks. You got to believe the Bible is just being attacked on every hand today. It's being undermined in every way. And I want you to see all this evidence. And I'm only going to, I'm just going to nibble around the edges. But I want you to see this is a supernatural book. This is not like any other book. Look in Psalm 22. What's unique about Psalm 22 is Psalm 22 was written 1,000 years before Jesus Christ lived. And at the time, Psalm 22 was written, crucifixion as a means of, of, of execution was unknown. Nobody had ever been crucified. And yet this holy man of old sat down and wrote these ancient words. And Psalm number 22, look at the details Of only a death by crucifixion A thousand years before it happened Verse number 14 In verse 14 It says that his bones are pulled out of joint We know you've heard me describe that many times That's happened when they dropped the cross into the socket Every bone was pulled apart In verse number 16 It says they pierced his hands and his feet What other means of execution Pierces the hands and the feet Than crucifixion Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 Also says they pierced my hands and my feet In verse number 18 of Psalm 22 here If you will notice They part my garments among them And cast lots for my vesture They gambled As you know Cast lots They gambled for the clothing Of the Lord Jesus Christ at the foot of the cross, prophesied 1,000 years before. They took his body out to bury it. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9 says, He would be buried in a rich man's tomb, and he was. Psalm 16 and 10 says that the Lord would not allow his Holy One to see corruption, pointing to a resurrection. His body is not going to rot in a tomb. Thou wilt not allow thy holy one to see corruption a prophecy in the Old Testament a thousand years before of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Fulfill prophecy, powerful evidence. The Bible's true. Number two, scientific accuracy of the scripture. the scientific accuracy. I'm going to go fast now and pick it up. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22 refers to the circle of the earth, the circle of the earth. When everybody in the whole world thought the earth was flat, the Bible was saying, no, the earth is circular. Luke chapter 17, verse 34 through 36, talks about the rotation of the earth, or it, it describes it. It said that on one side of the earth, people are wor- working in a field. On the other side of the earth, people are asleep in a bed. How does that happen? It happens because the earth rotates And half the earth is in darkness And half of the earth is experiencing daylight Job 28 and 25 Talks about the weight of the winds And that was written The first book written in the Bible At least 3,500 years ago The weight of the winds It wasn't until about 150 years ago We discovered what we call The barometric pressure The Bible says Predated known science Psalm number 8 and verse 8 Talks about the paths that are in the sea And some of you guys Recently went over to what we call The Gulf Stream The rivers, the paths That are in the midst of the sea That we can't explain Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 14 Says the life of the flesh Is in the blood Meaning the blood is essential To life and to health Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 6 talks about the circuits for the wind. We call them the jet streams up in the air. We know that there are rivers, streams moving sometimes at hundreds of miles an hour. The circuits of the winds. Ecclesiastes 1 and 7 talks about the water cycle that the water falls upon the lakes and it falls upon the rivers and then it evaporates and it's caught up into the clouds. It condenses and it goes across the land and it falls again and runs into the rivers and they run into the sea and the process is repeated over and over and over again. In Job chapter 26 and verse 7, he hangeth the earth upon nothing. You ought to read the Hindu scriptures. It says the earth sits on the back of a giant elephant. You ought to read the ancient Greek text And they say there are four strong men That are holding up the earth Really scientific stuff, huh? But then a few years ago We shot that astronaut up there And as that capsule circled the planet He took his camera lens and pointed it down And there's the earth What a sight, what a sight Even he talked about it Remember he read Genesis 1.1 what a blessing And he pointed that camera lens down there And excuse my language I didn't see no elephants And I didn't see four strong men I saw the earth hung upon nothing Just like God's word said so very long ago There is the fulfilled prophecy Evidence number one of Scripture There is the scientific accuracy of Scripture. The Bible was speaking about scientific matters hundreds and thousands of years before those same scientific discoveries were even made. Number three, the evidence of the unity of the Scripture. This book was written by 40 men, shepherds, farmers, kings, physicians, priests, Prophets, fishermen All kinds of different people Some highly educated Some not so educated This book is over 50, Was written over a period of 1500 years From the time the first book was written Until the last book was written 15 centuries had passed Can you imagine? 1500 years This book was written in three languages Old Testament Hebrew, Greek in the New Testament And Aramaic in portions of it Or Chaldee. This book was written on three different continents It was written part of it in Asia Part of it in Africa And part of it in Europe And yet, it's a wonderful unity How could a book written over 1500 years By 40 different people In three languages on three continents And three different cultures Have anything coherent to say Wouldn't it just be a mass Of contradictory opinion It would be if the Holy Spirit Were not superintending the whole process But he did And there's this miraculous unity Attached to the scripture That can only be explained That the Holy Spirit is overseeing it Two or three themes run throughout it Man's sinful nature and his rebellion toward God We see it every day on the news God's love expressed to us in his grace and redemption Through the Lord Jesus Christ, his son We've experienced that for the most part in this room And then the future restoration of the earth Back to what it was before the curse and the fall And the establishment of the kingdom of our God Where he shall reign forever And ever And those three three themes run Throughout this Forty different men writing about those themes Over 1500 years writing about those themes Three different continents and cultures Writing about those themes Speaking three different languages And yet here they are A wonderful unity of the Bible Is evidence of its divine authorship Number four There's the testimony of Jesus Jesus said the Bible was inerrant Now, do you accept the testimony of Jesus? If we were in court Who that ever lived in history would you call to the stand That could give testimony and bear witness That would be believed almost universally As being a man of integrity and truth? It would be Jesus, would it not? And Jesus Christ said your Bible is inerrant John chapter 17 verse 17 Jesus said sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth Not thy word has little bits and pieces of truth sprinkled in it no thy word is truth What a statement John 10:35 he said the scripture cannot be broken And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18, you know this one probably, but what a wonderful verse. He says, not one jot or one tittle, punctuation mark, not a jot nor a tittle will pass until the Scripture be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus said the Scripture is inerrant is true, is trustworthy Now I want to show you just one passage though That particularly needs our attention And it's in the book of Luke And it's chapter number 24 Because so often people have called into question Especially the Old Testament documents And um, what did Jesus say about the truthfulness of them Now would Jesus lie? If Jesus would lie then you know then it doesn't uh, then the Bible If, if Jesus would lie That we can't depend on anything else But we have the most trustworthy witness ever And we're in Luke chapter 24 And we're reading verse 44 And he's just resurrected from the dead And he's talking to those disciples That he met on the Emmaus road Luke twenty four forty four. He said to them These are the words Words, verbal inspiration Which I have spoken to you While I was yet with you That all, a all, things must be fulfilled which were written of me in the law of Moses. That's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. In the prophets, that's most of the Old Testament. And in the Psalms, the wisdom literature, all things will be fulfilled which were written in the Old Testament concerning me. Jesus said there is integrity in the Old Testament The testimony of our Lord Then there's the evidence number five of archaeology and history And I don't have a lot of time left And honestly, there are so many examples of this That uh, you could just stand here and talk about it for hours An archaeologist who was a Christian would, would come here And he could speak all day on this subject I'll just give you a couple of them But I want you to Here's what I want you to hear All of the thousands and thousands There's been over 25,000 Archaeological digs In what we call Israel today 25,000 if you could imagine And the spade of an ar- the archaeologist Is the best friend of inerrancy That we have found in modern times Not one of those 25,000 plus archaeological digs Has produced any evidence that's contrary to the Scripture record Not one The best friend we have is the archaeologist Confirming what the Bible said from another source I'll give you one and only one example for times purposes The Hittite nation is mentioned about 50 times in your Old Testament and the skeptics used to laugh at the idea of the Hittites Because there was absolutely no evidence that the Hittites ever lived They didn't leave a book They didn't leave any, any record that we know of in history No historian ever mentioned them And so for a couple of hundred years The skeptics and scoffers laughed about the Hittites And said, ah, the Bible's wrong And in 1875, an archaeologist by the name of Archibald Sace from England Was digging in Turkey And he found inscriptions carved in rocks that mentioned the Hittites He continued digging And Archibald Sace found so much evidence That he wrote a book in 1888 called The Hittites, The Forgotten Empire." Well, ten years later, a German archaeologist by the name of Hugo Winkler discovered in another dig in Turkey thousands of clay tablets, one of them which is so valuable. It's in a museum somewhere now. On a clay tablet, they had inscribed a treaty between the Hittites and the Egyptians, and it was baked and lost somewhere in time. And under the sands over there in Turkey somewhere the archaeologists dug it up And found hundreds if not thousands of bits of evidence of the Hittite nation A very powerful nation in biblical times The scientific world, the archaeological world had been wrong for 1500 years And now the scripture confirms The existence of the Hittites There's number six The indestructibility of the Bible Your Bible claims to be indestructible Isaiah 40 in verse 8 says The grass withereth The flower fadeth away But the word of our God Abideth forever It abideth forever And in the book of Matthew Chapter 24 and verse 35 I've quoted it once But boy what a precious verse Heaven and earth will pass away, so said Jesus Christ our Savior. But my words, but my words, they will never pass away. Now, there have been thousands upon thousands of enemies of the Bible who sought to destroy it. Diocletian in 303 was a Roman emperor. And he demanded that the people would worship him And he destroyed all the Bibles He ordered that all the Bible manuscripts be collected and burned And then he killed thousands of Christians around the Roman Empire And yet today, Diocletian is gone and the Bible survived Voltaire was a famous philosopher and writer and atheist He lived in the 1700s in France and Voltaire wrote that within 50 years the Bible will be a forgotten book 50 years later, interestingly, history attests That the French Bible Society was headquartered in the house From which he wrote those words And Bibles were sold out of it for another half century Hitler's tried to destroy the Bible Stalin tried to destroy the Bible The Muslims have tried to destroy the Bible The atheists and the skeptics and the scoffers have attempted to destroy the Bible But God's word endures Heaven and earth will pass away My word will not pass away And number seven, the influence of the Bible The influence of the Bible argues as evidence for the inerrancy And the supernatural nature of the scripture itself Hebrews 4 and 12 says that the Word of God is quick, meaning alive, alive. A woman gets pregnant, she says, I feel quickening. We cut our fingernail, we break it, and we say it went down to the quick. We mean it went down to where it's alive. And the Word of God is quick. It's alive. And it's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword And there are millions, millions And I'm not exaggerating Millions of testimonies Of the transforming power of God's Word Augustine was a profligate, immoral, drunkard And one day was sitting in his garden Having given up on life Having tried every sin that was imaginable before man And he began to read the Bible because of his mother Monica A godly woman who had prayed for him and pressed him to read it As he sat in a garden behind his house and read the scripture He thought he heard a voice that said take up and read He had the Bible copy laying there He didn't didn't even want to read it But he, he imagined he heard a voice Perhaps he did, perhaps God spoke to him And he took up the Bible and he began to read it And he was gloriously converted He became the greatest theologian Of the third century The fourth century Then there was John Wesley Whose daddy was an Anglican preacher Who came to America to be a missionary But knew in his heart that he was lost Struggled for years with his own belief system Served down in Georgia and Savannah Slapped the communion glass out of the mayor's daughter's hand And got himself in trouble Because he knew she was having an affair with a man He was zealous for the Lord And he wasn't even saved He got on a ship to go back to England And it was full of people who were Christians And they got in a big storm The Christian's over here singing songs to the Lord And he's kneeling down cowed and crazed with fear And John Wesley Began to think that I need the Savior And he began to read his Bible For the first time Really seriously seeking God He got back to England He went to a little prayer meeting At Aldersgate Street And he says As I read My heart was strangely warmed My heart was strangely warmed He found Christ And became the premier evangelist To the whole world during his time there are modern examples too January 1956 Five young men Had graduated most of them From Wheaton College in Illinois They had become missionaries Down in Ecuador in the jungle And they had been dropping gifts From a little airplane Into this Alka Indian tribe They were naked They were headhunters They were drunks They were illiterate Filthy, sick And those five men Dropped these little gifts Little knives and little mirrors And little trinkets down To show them friendship And began to land on the water Of the Amazon River there At a little beach And began to try to make contact With those people And on the day, this particular Sunday morning The plane landed on the river And out of the jungle Emerged These savages who took their spears And plunged them into their bodies And after their wives and families Didn't hear from them for days They went and found them Their bloated bodies floating in the Edge of the Amazon River They died Trying to make contact with the Alcas But unbelievably their wives stayed And they began to make contact and they began to teach these people Bible stories And they began to teach them how to read And they did And to make the long story short is told in the book The End of the Spear And in several other movies and so on Perhaps you've seen it Almost the entire tribe came to faith in Christ The power of the Bible to transform people's lives Totally changed that A modern Example from today You've never heard of Mossab Hassan Youssef But his father was the founder Of Hamas That's holding the war Right now with Israel And when Mossab Hussein was a teenage boy In Jordan Or pardon me in, in the area of Israel Where they're fighting right now The Gaza A Christian businessman from America Gave him a Bible And he began to read it He came to faith in Christ The son of Hamas Lives in this country Is a Christian And ministers Around this country Talk about a transformed life The power Of God's Word To change and transform And our heads are bowed